A couple of quick announcements. I want to make you aware of a couple opportunities uh, you have to encourage people in our church family. Uh, number one, today at 2 p.m., Jada Brady, who's running for PVA, is having a meet and greet at Broadway Cafe. Uh, and I listen, I'm not telling you who to vote for, okay? I don't think any sane politician would want me, my endorsement, and by extension, the church, this church's endorsement. Uh, probably wouldn't help, but uh, I think it'd be a great opportunity for you to get to know about what she has to offer our community, and I think uh, that she would appreciate seeing some friendly faces. So if you have time today, 2 p.m. at Broadway Cafe. Uh, also, this Friday, Uplifting Children's Ministry, uh, they have their annual banquet, um, and it is a mission that we support in Guatemala, amazing mission hosted or led by our resident missionary, David Lane. David, give us a big wave. David's right over there. Yeah, give it up. And so we have a table at this banquet. Uh, it's already reserved, and there's eight seats at the banquet. Uh, we've got a sign-up sheet. As of now, I'll be sitting by myself. I'd rather not do that. So if some of you guys want to come hang out on Friday, uh, please sign up. Okay, uh, today I want to talk to you about how the cross restores access to God, how the cross restores access to God. Uh, and I want to talk today to those of you who sometimes feel like you're on the outside looking in of the kingdom of God. You feel like you're on the fringe a little bit. Um, sometimes you're, you're not sure uh, if, you, if you can even pray, if you're allowed to pray. Sometimes you're, it's hesitant. you're hesitant to come to church if you belong in a place like this, if God accepts you. And so um, I want to talk to you today. I think we all feel like that sometimes, don't we? We all feel sometimes like we're on the outside looking into the kingdom. Um, and the truth of the matter is, some of you actually may be far from God. That's the truth of the matter. But here, here's my message today. You don't have to be. You may be, but you don't have to be. Now, in order for us to understand the weight of what Jesus did on the cross, I need to give you a little bit of Bible history, and so you guys have to be Bible nerds with me today. Are you cool with that? Yes. Yes, my front row is excited. Okay. What's the source of our alienation? Why is it that sometimes we feel far from God? Why is it that people sometimes feel hesitant in approaching the Lord? Uh, the source of our alienation, Adam and Eve in the garden, perfect paradise, and they walked with God face-to-face -face in the Garden of Eden. Uh, but they rebelled against God. And consequently, they were expelled from the Garden. You remember this story. Um, as they were expelled, God put these angelic beings, these supernatural angelic beings, beings called cherubim, at the Garden entrance. Okay, And these cherubim have flaming swords. And their job was to keep anybody out of the Garden. That seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? Like, why are you keeping people out? Shouldn't you have the door open? Why is God doing that? Because it is dangerous for sinners to be in the presence of a perfect and holy God. There is something about the holiness of God that makes it deadly for people stained with sin to be in his presence, which explains why throughout all of Bible history, God is so particular and he's so protective of the places that his presence dwells. Let me give you some examples. How many of you have seen The Prince of Egypt, the cartoon? It's a, the be, that's probably the best animated movie in history. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Um, it's the story of Moses, and uh, it's not all the way biblically accurate, but it's, it's pretty close. It does, they do a pretty good job. Powerful scene in that movie, which is biblical, uh, where there's a, a big flaming bush, 
You remember this story. In the middle of the desert, out in the middle of nowhere, it burns and burns and burns, but it doesn't burn up. Moses approaches the bush, and he hears a voice. Who's the voice? It's God. God has manifested his presence in this bush. It's not the full glory of God. It's a filtered version of God. And God says to Moses, take off your sandals. The place that you stand is holy ground. So God says to Moses, your sandals are defiled. If you want to be in my presence, then you have to take them off. Kind of sounds like my grandma back in the day, but that's a different sermon altogether. Later in the story of Moses, he ascends the holy mountain, and he's going to receive the Ten Commandments from God. You remember that the, the mountain is covered in this cloud. There's lightning, the thunder, the ground shaking. It's, a, it's just an amazing, awesome event. But God says to his people through Moses, make sure no one touches the mountain. It's a holy mountain, and if anybody touches the mountain, they will certainly die. Eventually, these Ten Commandment tablets are placed in a box. The box is covered in gold. On the top of the box are two cherubim. Uh, in the box are, are the Ten Commandments, uh, the staff of Aaron, and a cup of manna. Uh, this box came to represent God's presence among his people. It was considered to be very, very holy. And God gave special instructions on how people are to handle this box. Well, they were transporting the box back into the holy city. And as they did, they got careless in, in, in transporting the box. And the box became unsettled. And it started to slide off the cart that they were carrying it on. A man reached out and he touched the box to secure it and keep it from falling. The moment he touched the box, what happened to him? He died. Why did he die? He was defiled. He wasn't properly purified to touch the holy things of God. Once the Israelites um, did that, it was a sign. It was, it was a sign. It's dangerous. It's dangerous for people defiled to be near to the presence of God. Eventually, the people built a temple according to God's specifications. And in the heart of the temple, they constructed a room called the most holy place. You see, you got one curtain there here on the right side, and then you enter a room. That's called the holy place, and then there's another curtain. And on the other side of that curtain is the Ark of the Covenant. It's this holy box. Uh, this, this inner room, past the second curtain, this is the place that the Israelites, God's people, they believe that God's presence dwelt in this place. This was the most holy place on the planet. And they put a curtain that separated that most holy place from every other place. Embroidered on the curtain, can anybody guess what was embroidered on the curtain? Cherubim. So from the beginning, there has been a wall of separation between man and God. That separation caused by our defilement, caused by that we're not pure enough to stand in the presence of a holy God, and, and this separation is felt in each and every person. There's a void. Isn't there a void in each and every person? And there is a longing in all of us that can't be satisfied by anything in this world because we were created to be in an intimate relationship with God and anything less than that is not even living. Here's the disturbing news of that fact. There is nothing that we can do to bridge the gap. Firstly, 
Where is the holy mountain that we'll ascend to get to God? Where is it? Where's the temple that we can go to? Where's the Ark of the Covenant that we can touch? We don't have access to it. And even if we did, even if we could find the gate of the Garden of Eden, what makes you think that the cherubim would let you through? So we've got a major problem on our hands. All of us, by nature, through our sinful choices, through our rebellion, we are eternally, spiritually, physically, cosmically separated from the source of all good things, God Almighty. And we have no way in and of ourselves to get to God. Praise the Lord for Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 15. Let's all stand together. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, see, he's calling out for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick, offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Jesus let out a, crowd, a loud cry and breathed his last. Then the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. When the centurion, who was standing opposite him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was a son, was the son of God. Let's pray. Lord, we all come here. In this room, bowing our heads, closing our eyes, lifting our hands in praise to you. Gathered around your word. Because we all know that we need you. Please, Lord, answer our request today. You say if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. You say if we ask anything in your name according to your will, that we will have it. Our desire today is more of you. Please, Lord, speak through me. I'm a sinner. I'm only saved by your grace. I am no better than any person that's in this room. I'm no better than any person that's watching online. They don't need anything from me. Holy Spirit, they need a word from you. Please, Lord, speak to us. As you stand there with your eyes closed, take a moment, pray for those around you. Pray for the people that may be watching online. Pray that somebody that needs to hear this message will hear this message today. I'd ask you to pray for my wife. Her mother has cancer. We're praying that this week is a successful week. Take a moment pray for yourself. Father, speak to us. We're ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Mark chapter 15, verse 33. It was noon. Darkness came over the whole land until it was three in the afternoon. So what uh, we're talking about, the scene that's painted here, Mark is really clear for three hours, it's completely dark. So this isn't a solar eclipse. This isn't like some naturally occurring event. This is a spiritual cosmic moment. Every time that we see this kind of thing in the Bible, it is God coming to lay the smack down on some sinners. That's what it is. Every single time we see darkness cover the land for an extended period of time. The prophet Joel warns a sinful people of an impending divine judgment about to come on him. He calls this day the day of the Lord. Joel chapter 2, verse 10. 
and following. Blow the ram's horn in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the residents of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is near. This is how you'll know the day of the Lord is coming. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and total darkness. Joel goes on. He uses a bunch of imagery that points us back to God's the divine judgment on the Egyptians. You'll remember that the Egyptians had enslaved God's people for 400 years. God finally said, enough is enough. I'm going to deliver my people. And he does so through a series of plagues, divine judgment on the Egyptian people. There's 10 plagues. The last plague was the death of the firstborn son. Does anyone remember what the ninth plague was? Darkness. Covered the land for three days. And so this is what we see here, Mark 15, is a reenactment of the divine judgment that was placed on the Egyptians. Just prior to the death of the sun, for three hours, a plague of darkness covers the land. Mark 15 is recording for us a cosmic event in which divine judgment of God is unleashed, not on sinners, not on rebellious people, not on the Egyptians. Divine punishment is unleashed on Jesus Christ. Mark 15, 34. At three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, there's two things going on with this statement. I'm going to come back to the second one, but the first and most obvious is this. Jesus, in some way, in this moment, feels abandoned by God, which is understandable. Darkness has overtaken the land, deserted by his friends, rejected by his kinsmen, surrounded by his enemies, mocked by evildoers, stripped naked, beaten bloody, nailed to a tree. Jesus looks at all the evidence, and he says to God, why have you forsaken me? And here is the truth, as difficult as this is to wrap your head around, in some mysterious way, God forsook Jesus on the cross. In some mysterious way, God abandoned Jesus. The Bible says over and over and over again, Jesus became sin for us. Jesus became a curse for us. For us, the sins of all who would believe throughout all of history were absorbed by Christ on the cross, and God punished Jesus for the sins of all of us on the cross. You'll remember Jesus as he described hell, he described it as a place. He said, It's the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so, verse 34 describes Jesus experiencing the horrors of hell, cut off from the divine protection of the Father, abandoned to endure the agony of the outer darkness. So that's what we see here. Basically, Jesus himself is descending in hell to hell to take the punishment that we all deserve. Verse 35, when some of those standing there heard this, they said, see, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick, offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. So when they heard Eloi, Eloi, they thought Jesus was calling out for Elijah the prophet. They thought Jesus was saying, Eli, Eli. Now, they had this superstition because Elijah was the prophet who didn't die. You remember the story, he's just caught up into heaven. And so they thought that Elijah was like the patron saint of people who were being mistreated. And so they believed that Elijah would come if somebody was really experiencing a a grave injustice, that Elijah would come and save them. 
And so that's what they're expecting to happen. But no one came to save Jesus. When Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He isn't asking a question as much as he is pointing all of us to the solution of our cosmic problem. My God, my God, why are you forsaking me is the first line of a psalm. In Jesus' day, the psalms were a hymn book. Uh, And they weren't separated by chapter and verse. If somebody wanted to call to mind a psalm, they would sing or recite or say the very first line in that psalm. Now, we're, we're all, we all do this. I'll give you some examples. It, it, this is a good strategy for learning and remembering. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready now. You get a cookie as soon as I can find one. What about this? When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Got my first real six-string Bought it at the five and dime. Played it till my fingers bled. Some of y'all didn't know any of those. Wow. Jesus here, he's calling to mind a psalm, a song that we know as Psalm 22. Psalm 22, and I want to work through this. We're Bible nerds today. Stick with me. I promise there's a payoff. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? These are the same exact words that Jesus uses on the cross. Jesus cries out this line because he wanted to associate this thousand-year-old song with what he was enduring in this moment. This isn't a song that just relates to Jesus on the cross. It's actually a prophetic song about Jesus on the cross. Look at verse 6. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. As we've been studying the gospel of Mark, isn't this the words that they said to Jesus as they mocked him? Same exact words. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like a baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. Thousand-year-old song describing perfectly exactly what Jesus is enduring on the cross. Now, what's important to know is this song was written 600 years before the Persians invented the, uh, the art of crucifixion. 600 years before, okay, so verse 16. Remember that. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves. They cast lots for my clothing. Isn't this just exactly what we're reading in the Gospel of Mark describing Jesus' execution? Written a thousand years before Jesus was even born. Written 600 years before this means of execution was even invented. You see, the death of Jesus down to the smallest detail was all part of God's plan. Verse 19. But you, Lord... 
Don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of the dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horn of the wild oxen. Okay, now pause right here. Save me, help me, rescue me. I'm in need. I'm not going to survive. All of a sudden it changes. You answered me. Do you see it? Immediately, without any sort of transition, you go, it go, the psalm goes from, from save me please to you answered me, yes. Why? Because there is an overlap between Christ's death and our deliverance. There's no way to separate Christ forsaken so that we could be forgiven. There is no other way he had to be punished to bring us peace. Verse 25, I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. Notice this song starts with, I can't, I can't do it. I need you to come and save me. But after the answer, after the rescue, I will. It goes from I can't to I will. From doubt to certainty, from despair to hope. Verse 31, they will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare that he has done it. Now, I love, I love that the psalm ends that way. I love that the psalm ends that way. Because when, when you study this, you analyze this song, it's clear. It's clear. This isn't just a psalm. It's not just a song that Jesus uses to comfort himself on the cross. This is a gospel message. The death of the man of God resulted in the deliverance of God's people. The man of God was abandoned and experienced great pain, resulting in the nations united with God and enjoying great blessing. The song begins with a painful cry, why have you abandoned me? And it ends with a praise chorus, he has done it, which is beautiful because then you read Mark 15, 37. Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. This is a strange way for someone dying from crucifixion to die. Generally, they would hang there for, for days, and eventually they would go unconscious, and they would stop breathing. Go out with a whimper. Not Jesus. The Greek here, two Greek words, megalophonin. What's that sound like? Megaphone. So here's, here's the picture that Mark is painting. This is what Jesus did in his last moments. Not a victim, a victor. Not fear, but fulfillment. Not Oh, no, but oh, yes. John describes Jesus' last moment this way. John chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus says, it is finished and breathed his last. The debt is paid. The mission is accomplished. The enemy is defeated. The victory is won. He has done it. He's done it. And here's the immediate proof. Verse 38. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Remember the curtain in the temple we discussed earlier. Only the high priest went in on the other side of that curtain. He was the most consecrated human being on the planet. 
He was the only one allowed to go into that place. And he only went once a year. Only after he had made the appropriate sacrifices for his own sins. And only after he had put bells on his robe and tied a rope around his waist so that when he goes into this most holy place, if he isn't purified and he dies in the presence of God, they could pull his dead body out of the most holy place. The high priest would enter this most holy place to make a sin offering of blood on behalf of the people to cleanse them from their sins so that they could safely live near the presence of God. But he had to do this year after year after year after year after year. Why? Because it wasn't a good enough sacrifice. It wasn't a good enough sacrifice. There is nothing, even our very best efforts, is not a good enough sacrifice to earn our space in the presence of God. The Bible says the blood of goats and bulls cannot take away your sin. And so these people, as hard as they tried, they only had limited access to God. They only had temporary access to God. But Jesus lived, and he died, and he rose again on behalf of all who would believe to cleanse them from all of their impurity and make them right with God. The Bible says he was the perfect sacrifice once and for all. And to show the world that the debt was paid in full, God tore the curtain in two from top to bottom. To show that the bridge, the gap had been bridged, God tore down the wall that divided man from God, restoring access to the nation so that they could draw near to God. So every man, every woman, every child, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what anybody says or thinks about you, every single person has permission to approach God through Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 19 and following, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. What curtain? That is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Friends, are you here today feeling far from God? You feel unworthy to be in his presence? You feel like you don't belong here? You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to pretend like everything is okay. You don't have to pretend like you're perfect. You don't have to make a sacrifice. You don't need the approval of a priest. In and through Christ, you can boldly enter the presence of God with full assurance because the veil is torn. Never again, friends, never again be hesitant about approaching God in prayer. Never again be reluctant to step inside of his house. Never again be unsure about your access to God. Because God tore the curtain of separation from top to bottom. It's important that Mark included that detail from the top to the bottom. Why is that important? Because man didn't move the wall of separation. God removed the wall of separation. Friends, you didn't find God. God found you. 
Friends, you didn't come to God. God came to you. Friends, you didn't choose God. God chose you. It wasn't your sacrifice. It wasn't your obedience. It wasn't your knowledge. It wasn't your purity that enabled you to enter into the most holy place. It was Christ who made a way. Christ made the ultimate sacrifice, and God tore the the curtain in two. You didn't gain access to God. God granted you access to him. Now, let me tell you why that's good news. Because you didn't earn it, you can't unearn it. You see that? You didn't gain it, so you can't lose it. The Bible says God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't earn God's love. How can you unearn God's love? Believers, when the darkness overtakes you, when the pain overwhelms you, when the enemies are all around you, be reminded that the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. God has not abandoned you. God has not forsaken you. God has not given up on you. God has not left you for dead. God promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because God is with you. The Bible says, Psalm 23 says, surely his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will, I will, I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Sinner, you have permission to boldly approach the throne of grace and he will show you mercy. He will give you help. And you say, but Jeff, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the kind of life that I've lived. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. You don't know what's brewing in my heart. You don't know the thoughts that I... I ask you today, have you ever overseen the crucifixion of the perfect man, son of God, and savior of the world? Have you ever done that? Anybody? Now it's time to confess, if so. I didn't think so. Doesn't get much worse than that, does it? The centurion did. Look at verse 39. When the centurion who was standing opposite him, this is the man who's in charge. He's over 100 soldiers. Every single one of these soldiers that nailed Jesus to a tree, this man stood watch over him. He said, that's what I want you to do. He gave his nod of approval. And he stands opposite. He's standing face to face with the dead body of Jesus. And he saw the way he breathed his last. Not a, oh, no, but a, oh, yes. Not a victim, but a victor. And he said, truly, this man was the son of God. To the person who feels so far from God today, the man who killed our Savior is proof. It is never too late to come to Jesus. You are never beyond the grace of God. He was abandoned so that you could be accepted. He was forsaken so that you could be forgiven. He went to hell and back to bring you to heaven. Jesus stands and knocks at the door of your heart, and he says, whoever opens that door, I will come in, and I will eat with you, and you will eat with me. Come to him, just as you are. Trust him as your Savior. Surrender to him as your God, and you will be given access to the throne room of heaven. You will be adopted in the family of God, 
The Father will hear every single one of your prayers, and he will make a way for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for being our sacrificial lamb that died for our sins to cleanse us from all impurity, to make a way for us to come to the Father. Your punishment brought us peace. You went to hell to bring us to heaven, and all we can do is say thank you. Lord, I pray today you will empower us to live a life that's worthy of the sacrifice. To live a life worthy of the calling. To live a life worthy of the, impure, the, the purity and the anointing that you've placed on each and every one of us. If there's any person in this room today, Lord, that's far from you, I pray you will empower them to get up out of their seat and come to you. Surrender their life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. Uh, this is a song that we sing at the end of service. We have this time. This is a time of prayer. It's a time of remembrance, time of commitment. If you're here today and you've not taken the emblems, uh, in the back of the room we have crackers and juice that represent the body and blood of Christ. It represents our victory over sin, death, and the grave. It represents the cleansing that we have. And so every week we, we drink it and we eat it to be reminded that Christ has done this great work for us and to empower us to live a life that honors that. So if you haven't done that, I'd encourage you to do it. If you're here today and you're carrying a burden that's too heavy for you to carry, if you're here today and you're feeling far from God, just look at this altar as an open door. And it's flung wide open. The, the, the veil, the curtain is ripped from the top to the bottom. God's door into your life couldn't be more widely thrown open. So if you're here today and you're feeling far from God, please come and just kneel at this altar. He'll accept you. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll empower you. If you haven't done that, I mean, please do that if you're here today. If you're, if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, please come talk to me so I can tell you about your next steps. As we sing this song, come.